Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. All right, so let's get into what we're supposed to get to today. Secularism versus Christianity. Secularism versus Christianity. I want to go to Psalm 53, verse 1. And you're going to get a good idea of what we're talking about in a moment. It says, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Only fools say in their heart, there is no God. Well, there's another term for that to some degree, secularism. And, you know, sometimes when you preach uh, the Bible about political issues, uh, people will call it Democratic propaganda, Republican propaganda. And their idea, and, and in fact, they'll go a step farther and they'll cite the separation of church and state as a reason why a pastor or a church should not even talk about these issues. It's almost like, well, how dare God have an opinion? You know, and of course, this last couple weeks, I've had a few interesting messages on my Instagram page. I have dusted off my block ministry. You are blocked. (laughs) Been called a liar and a false prophet and all of that stuff, just by a few. And when you get into the actual argument that they're making, sometimes it comes down to this issue of secularism. Uh, of, of separation of church and straight state, which really is a, an outgrowth of a political idea called secularism. So what is secularism? Well, let's define it. It's the principle of seeking to conduct human affairs based on secular, naturalistic considerations. It's most commonly defined as the separation of religion from civic affairs and the state and may be brought into a similar position seeking to remove or to minimize the role of religion in any public sphere. So if the idea ultimately is the separation of religion from civic affairs and the state, and they really have have broadened it to a place where they want to remove or minimize the role of religion in any public sphere. Now, the idea of secularism is relatively new. In fact, when you start talking about, okay, how many individuals actually uh, who, were, who signed our Constitution, how many of them were ministers? The answer is 29 out of 54. They were ordained ministers. And then you look at our nation's history and you find that the Bible was the textbook in schools until the middle of the 20th century. You'll find that, that when people had church every Sunday in the Capitol for over 150 years, and we can go on and on and on. You talk about things that George Washington said in his last speech and so many others. And the idea that God was not supposed to be a part of our government system, that there was supposed to be a separation of church and state the way they're saying now is just not true. It wasn't until you got to around 1947 where there was a Supreme Court case where the Supreme Court at the time changed the rules. And they went from stopping the government from establishing religion to going so far as saying government could not in any way aid religion. And that's where you got this idea of secularism arose from that, this idea of, well, God and Christianity should not be involved in the public square. And then it wasn't too long after that, maybe a decade later, that you had a president for political reasons, then try to implement a, let's just call it a law, to prevent preachers from preaching about politics from the pulpit. Meaning this is all done for political reasons. And that's why you hear the separation of church and state. It is always coming from those who recognize their political enemies are the people who would be in the pulpit, the people who would be Christians, the people who would espouse biblical beliefs. So their goal is to kick us out of the public square so they can win every election. Okay, I'm preaching better. Y'all saying amen, but... So the question is, what does the Bible have to say about it? What does the Bible have to say? Does the Bible have an idea about whether or not Christianity should have anything to do with our, our nation? 
anything to do with our politics, anything to do with our votes and, and all of that. I mean, what does God, how does God view this? We know what our founding documents say, but what does God say? Well, Matthew chapter 16. In verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Message translation, not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So, of course, Jesus is talking here. He's talking to Peter. He, he's, of course, excited about Peter's revelation that he is the Messiah. And then he gives them some additional revelation. That's how God works. When you get revelation, you qualify for more revelation. So he tells them something that's really important. He tells them that there's really a battle that's going to be happening in the earth. Jesus will be building his church on earth. And how is the church built? One person at a time. Every time somebody follows Jesus, a person is grabbed and brought into his church, his family, right? And so he said, I'm going to be building my church, but while I'm building my church, the powers of hell will be fighting against me. As we read to you the message translation, the gates of hell will be fighting to keep people behind its gates, to keep people bound, to keep people uh, separated from God, to keep people uh, destined to go to hell. And so there's going to be this battle between my church who are trying to get people out of uh, the gates of hell and hell was going to be trying to keep people in the gates of hell. You get it? So he's telling us here, there's, there's a war that's going to be happening in the earth. And, and I think 1 John chapter 4 does an even better job of helping us understand this and what's happening today. In verse 3 it says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. In Jude chapter 1 it calls them Jesus deniers. We've been hearing about election deniers. Well, Jesus deniers. I think I'm the only one who thought that was funny. All right. And so it says, And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So there's something in the world called the spirit of antichrist. Well, what does that mean, antichrist? Against Christ. It's a spirit that's in the earth, and I won't take you to all the scriptures, but in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, he says there are many antichrists in the world. So we're not talking about just one guy that's going to show up at the end of days. We talked about that this summer. We're talking about many people that Satan is using to keep people behind the gates of hell. 2 John chapter 1 calls them many deceivers. So there's this, there's many people that are antichrist. There is a spirit of antichrist that is driving these people to deceive, to cause people to reject God and, and once again die and go to hell. And we see them every day, all day, especially on our media, in our media, and in government, and in schools, etc. There's a war going on right now between the forces of the spirit of Antichrist and the forces of Christ. And if you're a believer, you're supposed to be on the side of the forces of Christ. And John, he continues by saying this, and you are of God, little children, have overcome them. Who? Those who are of the spirit of Antichrist. You've overcome that army because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So what we can see here is that Jesus is revealing to us that there is a war going on in the earth right now between the forces of Christ and the forces of the spirit of Antichrist. And it's not a physical war. Nobody's pulling out guns or, or missiles. It's a spiritual war. But that doesn't mean it's any less than any other war. In fact, it's even more impactful than those wars because the spirit world impacts everything. Everything we see, everything we know is a result of what's happening in the spirit world. In fact, without the spirit world, this natural world doesn't exist. A spirit created this world and created you. You are a speaking spirit. That's why when you believe and you speak, you can change things in this world. Right? So a spiritual war is a big deal. And the spirit of Antichrist has spread throughout our country just like Satan intended. And it's particularly taken up residence in the seven mountains of culture in our country. 
No, these are the seven things that seem to have the greatest influence over the, the 300 million people in our country. What are those mountains? Well, you're talking about, of course, media. Fox, CNN, MSNBC, et cetera, et cetera. You're talking about entertainment, what Hollywood is putting out, for example. You're talking about education. That's why there's a big fight right now about the books that are in the, the schools that kids have access to and what, you know, they're, they're, people are trying to do things like tell kids that they're of a different gender and, and not letting their parents know and what's going on here. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Business. You see whole businesses, whole corporations leave a state, leave a, a, you know, a, a city, and they boycott things because you don't agree with some demonic idea they've come up with. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Of course, religion. We already know there's multiple false religions, but the biggest religion in the United States of America right now is the religion of secularism. The group that's growing the most in America are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S meaning I don't believe in anything. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Of course, in homes, Satan has been, he's been working, he's using these other ways to impact the way parents think, the way kids think, trying to get them to stay behind the gates of hell. And then government. And we've had that battle going on in our country for a very long time between the spirit of Antichrist and the, the forces of Christ. Now, what's been happening is that the forces of Christ have also been spreading throughout the country and the world. And so what you're seeing is the body of Christ taking territory in Hollywood, taking territory in education, taking territory in media, taking territory in terms of churches and ministries exploding, overcoming false religion, taking territory in government. But what you've got here is you've got a war going on. You really have a tug of war, right? You've got the forces of Christ pulling against the forces of Antichrist. And you ever notice something about a tug of war? There's only two teams. There's no third team here. There is no, you know, well, I'm not on either side, team. That's not how this world works. There is good and there is evil. There is no, I'm just checking out of it. There is no none. You're on one side or the other. So, you know, I saw this one tweet a couple weeks ago, at least, and, and they said this. They said, I don't want America to be a Christian nation. Christian nationalism is toxic and abusive, and nations can't be Christian anyway. I just want Christians in America to live and love like Jesus. Sounds real good, but it's foolish. Because here's the big question. Who is better to have control of your nation, God or Satan? Pick a side, because you don't get to sit this out. Secularism or Christianity? Proverbs 29, verse 2. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. The message translation says it this way. When good people run things, I think the message translation is kind of the ghetto version of the Bible sometimes. <laughs> When good people run things, everyone is glad. But when the ruler is bad, everyone groans. The idea here is that leadership matters more than we realize. Look at this again. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. So just, and the idea here of godly is that they're increasing. So there's more and more of them in positions of influence or authority, or we might say po political office. But even then, it's still a small number compared to the people. But just the godly being an authority has an impact on the quality of life of the people to the place where because things are good, they are rejoicing. And when the wicked are in authority, they have such an influence over the people such that the life things are so bad, the people are groaning. That's B-I-B-L-E. And so God gets this, Satan gets this. And so God likes to use leaders to 
influence the masses for their good. Satan likes to use leaders to influence the masses for their harm. A great example is Hitler. Hitler was a very charismatic leader. And he got his nation on board with a demonic mission. He, through his ideas, not only influenced the masses of Germany, but his actions caused the whole world to go into war. And it cost, I believe, the number is six million Jews their lives, all because of a wicked leader. So the idea that leaders aren't really a big deal and whoever's in office doesn't really matter is just not biblical. Leaders matter. In fact, let me read to you 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 16. This is God talking about one of the leaders of Israel. And there's a number of scriptures that say this. I'm just going to pull out one of them. It says, he will abandon Israel because Jeroboam, who was their king, sinned and made Israel sin along with him. So he sinned, but he didn't just sin, but as the leader, he made the nation to sin. And if you were to go on to, the, there's a number of scriptures I can give you. You can see chapter 15, verse 26, verse 34, chapter 16, verse 2, verse 13, verse 19. We can go on and on and on. You can see over and over again that what God was saying was because the leader was sinning, they influenced the whole nation to sin. And God was holding the leader responsible, not only for their sin, but for the fact that they caused the nation to sin. Oh, that's strong terminology. He made the nation to sin. How does that happen? Well, not only through example, but through the laws that are implemented. When you do things like take the White House and you put it in rainbow colors. Let me just stop. I'm trying to be led. You get the idea here, though, that God has shown you that wicked leadership causes the nation to sin. We said something about sin before. It's contagious. And the world doesn't get this. They think it's funny, y'all, you know, just because what happens in my bedroom is my business only. I wish that were true. I want nothing to do with what's in your bedroom. But unfortunately, you're going to talk about what's in your bedroom. In fact, you're going to tell your friend to try the same thing. In fact, nowadays, you might record it and put it online. And that's just the way sin works. Sin is like mold on bread. If you get, you have some great looking bread and you get a little tiny bit of mold, leave it alone, what's going to happen? The whole bread's going to be moldy. And that's what happens when you allow sin to fester in a community. This is why in the Old Testament, when God was the president over Israel, when certain sins were committed, he said they made that choice, now they lose their life. And people say, that's harsh. Why should they lose it? I don't believe in capital punishment. Well, God was looking at the fact that this person's sin unchecked would not just destroy their life, it would destroy all of their lives. So God said, you made the choice, you deal with the consequences of your choice. Because he understood that sin unchecked will spread. And Satan understands this too. So that's why he pushes so hard to keep, to push sin into our schools, push sin onto our television and movies and, and, and have politicians, everybody pushing sinful concepts that will destroy people's lives because the more that we put, they push it and the more people, the more people accept it and the more people accept it, the more people will do it and the more their lives will be destroyed. So he gets that. Wicked leadership causes the nation to sin, and then, of course, the people groan to suffer. Psalm 125, verse 3 says, The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. You see that? He doesn't even want the godly tempted. You put wicked leadership over the godly, it may lead them doing wrong. The Amplified Bible says, Lest the righteous stretch forth their hands to iniquity and apostasy. So let's be very biblical based on the things we've already talked about in this series. Leadership that champions abortion is wicked leadership, biblically. There is no debate. If you're a Christian and you believe the Bible, then you know they're championing, championing killing children that God sent into the earth on a mission. 
that God believed are so precious that he's literally writing down every moment of their development. And so when you have leadership that's championing that, that's wicked leadership and it causes a nation to suffer. Leadership that pushes sexual deviancy, anything outside of a man and his wife having sex within the confines of their marriage is wicked leadership, biblically. That's wicked. And it's the kind of stuff that there was a day and age where that was common sense. But Satan is a master at deception. So he'll get you to, the Bible talks about people having a reprobate mind. He'll get you to the place where you think in a way that doesn't even, doesn't even add up. You can look at a man and see he's a man. You can look at a woman and see, and the idea that somebody was born in the wrong body, this isn't a sci-fi movie. In fact, even in your favorite sci-fi movie, you don't ever see that happen. We know these things. That's wicked leadership. Why is Satan pushing those things? Because he wants people to sin sexually. Because he knows that that's the one sin you commit against your body that'll tear up your body and it'll tear up your life. Leadership that's attacking the freedom to worship. Even when it goes down to, hey, I don't want to put stuff on my, my cake that, that pushes something I don't believe in. I don't want to take pictures at a wedding of someone and it's men and a man and a man. I don't believe in that. And they're, they're, they're persecuting those people. And, and I remember one, there's a grandmother out in the Pacific Northwest, they took all of her savings because they kept attacking her and, 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 and the courts. That's wicked leadership. And it ultimately caused people to mourn. Taking God out of school, taking prayer out of school, taking the Bible out of school, taking God out of the public square, who would want that? The spirit of Christ or the spirit of Antichrist? Satan, he's trying to remove the competition so he can still kill and destroy. And you know, the real reason why Satan is trying to go after, you know, the babies and he's causing sexual deviancy and is all of that is to break down the most important unit on planet Earth, the family unit. Let's break down a man and his wife and their children coming together in a whole environment, which was God's intention from Genesis chapter two on. And you know who's hurt the most by those policies? The abortion policies, the sexual deviancy policies, all that kind of, who hurts the most because of that? Black people. Who has the highest percentage of abortions by far? Black people. Where do the abortion clinics, where do they place them? Around black people. And there's a whole story there about Mar Margaret Sanger and her, her, her seeing this as a way to eliminate black people. I, I remember when I was pastoring in Atlanta, and we were, you know, we would go to witness in the projects. And so I was in there, you know, with everybody else, and we're talking to different people, had some pretty funny conversations. But one of the things that came up was they were telling, you know, the people who come back to me, our, our team members, and they were saying, man, they're telling us the guys in this place, they're, they're going after each other. And I, I remember hearing that, like, man, that's wild. You know, there's women everywhere. Why, why y'all going after each other? And then I used to have to deal with even then, and we're talking about over a decade ago, the girls being turned to homosexual behavior in their schools. And it was becoming a consistent problem. Why? You put a little mold on some bread and it spreads. And, and if you start talking about, you know, we just saw this with uh, part of what happened with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I've already talked about Black Lives Matter versus White Lives Matter, so I'm not going to re-preach all of that. I'm not going to be political. Listen to the message. I'm not against the idea. But part of what happened was it was hijacked by those who, who believe in sexual deviancy. And so you had it hijacked by people that wanted to push, you know, men being with men, women being with women, you know, somebody, a man being born in the wrong body, woman in the wrong body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and who's doing that? Satan, who's hurt most by that? What, what community is, is really getting ravished by that? The African-American community. But then who keeps supporting that? The African-American community. And if we just go back to our roots, what kept us as a people through slavery? What kept us as a people through Jim Crow? What kept us as a people through the Civil Rights Movement? 
what kept us as a people to this day. The B-I-B-L-E, we used to sing Negro spirituals praising God because we believe God was the one that would deliver us and God was our source and God was the one who would protect us and he did. So we got to get back to God. Proverbs 29 again, verse 2. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. There's another side of this. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. Well, why would I rejoice? Man, that word rejoice, you know, it talks about being gleesome, happy. What would cause the people to rejoice? Because things are good. What causes things to be good? Righteous leadership. The word godly or righteousness is what the King James Version uses. It means rightness, justice, and virtue. We talked about righteousness and justice last week. How we need to stand for both. Right? It's talking about righteous acts. Proverbs 14, 34 says this way, Godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So when a nation, these are, notice this is talking about a nation. When a nation operates in a godly way, the nation prospers. When the nation operates in a sinful way, the nation falls. There is such a thing as national righteousness and national sin. And so this is one reason why elections matter and praying for your nation matters and all of that because we have an impact on whether or not our nation is godly or not. You know, Isaiah chapter 1 is an example where you see God talking to his people there and because the nation had turned to sin, his whole point is, look at yourself. So look, look at what's happened to your nation. Everybody's sick. Everybody's poor. Your enemies are defeating you. Look at yourself. Then he says, but if you'll just come back to me, I'll make your, your, your sins as white as snow. If you be willing and obedient, I'll give you the good of the land. He was talking to a nation. You don't think God looks at the United States as a nation? Why is it the United States of America is the only superpower on earth? Why is it the most prosperous nation to ever exist in the history of planet earth? In spite of its ugly history. Because when this nation was started, they've taken this out of the history books because spirit of Antichrist. They came here to find a nation where they could worship the God of the Bible freely. When you had Thanksgiving Day, we talked a little bit about the history of that a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about thanking the God of the Bible. When you look at the Declaration of Independence, you look at the Constitution, you even look at the Pledge of Allegiance, you're talking about the God of the Bible. You look at what George Washington said when he first became president of the United States, and you'll look at the, the things that others said along those lines. They were all saying this nation is a nation that is for God. A covenant was made with God that this would be his nation, one nation under God. And they didn't get a liberty and justice for all part right for a long time. Half of them did, half of them didn't. That's why there was a war. But compared to the rest of the world, this was the godliest place on planet Earth, and it still is. But what Satan is trying to do is cause sin to infect the nation because he believes that if he can infect this nation, he can stop the nation from being the light that it has been to the world. The gospel has come out of this nation and went all over the world for 200 years. It has changed the world and Satan wants to stop it. How do I take down an empire from the inside? But when you have righteous leadership, they can do what Isaiah 59 says. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. 
When the enemy comes in like a flood with the force of Antichrist, what God wants to do is raise up a standard of the forces of Christ to fight against that, to stop what he's trying to do in politics, and what he's trying to do in education, and what he's trying to do in entertainment, and what he's trying to do in media, and make sure the gospel is being preached because the light will always overcome and defeat the darkness. So Galatians chapter 6, because I've got more, but I'm over time. It's one of the interesting things about our history is that when you even look back to the American Revolution, you know the people that led that fight? One of the big, biggest groups of people that were leaders in the American Revolution were the preachers. They were called the Black Road Regiment. The story of one preacher that stood up in his pulpit, preached a message about the, the issues of that day, stepped off the pulpit, got his musket, and led the men onto the battlefield. That's our history. This was a Christian nation, unquestionably. And it wasn't until you got through halfway through the 20th century that that started to change. And this is how Satan works. God, and y'all probably have experienced this. You ever experienced God doing something great in your life? And while you're saying, God, do something great here, Satan's sneaky behind doing something over here. Am I the only one? Yeah, you blessing my family, you blessing this, you doing this, but my job, I just lost my job. So God has got this nation that's serving him, and, 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 and what he does, you know, we get around the civil rights movement, finally, you know, what's happening is people that look like us, we're starting to win this battle, and we're starting, and while he's doing that, you know, we're doing that, God's raising up Martin Luther King Jr.'s and all these other stuff, while he's doing that, Satan over here starts pushing sexual deviancy. Let's go with the free love movement. Let's push abortion. Let's, let's get Margaret Sanger to do her thing because that'll, that'll, that'll take care of those, those Christian-believing African-Americans. So all this is happening, and all this is happening. So he lost that battle, he, he, and so he, he switched to this battle. We got to understand that. We got to understand what's going on here. This is bigger than Republican-Democrat, black-white. It's bigger than that. It's a spiritual it's the forces of Christ versus the forces of Antichrist. Galatians chapter 6. Y'all pray for me. I have a whole lot to say and I can't say it all. I got to wind down. So, Verse 7. Don't be misled. Why would that be in the Bible? I think the King James says, be not deceived. Why, why God even have to say that? Because he knows that is exactly what Satan will try to do. Deceive you. And in what way? You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. The Amplified Bible says, for whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he will reap. So Satan will try to get you to think, well, you know, if you do this, it's not going to have much of an impact on your life and your future. And God says, no, whatever you sow, you reap. And your actions are seed. Every action. The Bible says, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will not cease. You are a result of seed time and harvest. Do I have to spell that out? <laughs> a lot of the food we eat is a result of seed time and harvest. Everything is seed time and harvest, and that includes your actions. And it fits in every area of life. Whatever you sow, you will reap. The good news is you can control what you sow. So you can control what you reap. But one of the areas that we sow in is in the area of our vote. Your vote is a seed. Turn to him and tell him that your vote is a seed. Turn to somebody and tell them your vote is a seed. Put that in the comments online. Your vote is a seed. It's not only going to impact your future, it's going to impact the future of many others, and you're going to be held accountable before God for that action just like we will for every other action. Your vote is a seed. So Ephesians 5, 11, 12 tells us something. 
Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil in darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. Take no part. The King James Version says, have no fellowship with them. In other words, don't share in company with, don't co-participate in things that are evil. Right? Don't co-sign it. Don't co-sign it. In 1 John, the Bible talks about walking in the light of what you know. God doesn't expect you to know everything. But when you do know what's right and wrong, God expects you to operate according to that knowledge. You got a five-year-old and they do something and you know that they really didn't know what they were doing. You're going to operate a little differently with them than you would with a 15-year-old. Am I right? I hope so. Or your 15-year-old act like a five-year-old. Right? I expect, you know, you, you know better. And God's saying, man, when you know better, I expect you to operate based on what you know. So when you know that the enemy is using people and all these other things to push his agenda, to tear up the lives of people, you cannot continue to support that action. Martin Luther King Jr. said a couple of things I thought was relevant. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. He said, he who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. He said, he who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. What's he saying? He was talking about, of course, the whole race issue. He was talking about the fact that there were many Caucasian Americans who were watching what was happening and they were not doing anything about it. They did not believe in it, they were not racist, but they just would not do anything about the issue. And he's saying that's evil. And he was right. And eventually it led to them doing something about it. And still evil to sit here and watch outright, unquestioned wickedness be put on our ballots and be championed by our supposed spiritual uh, political leaders. I mean, we don't have to get into debates about economics and you know, everybody has their view. But I'm talking about the stuff that's just clear as day. You know it's wrong, you know it. And you wanna try to justify it for way up, but yeah, no, you know, and God knows you know. And to sit there and support that is evil. I read to you something about Proposition 3 that's on the ballot in two days. They're not telling you the truth about it, of course. Oh, it just restores the rights of Roe v. Wade. Like, that's okay. It's not. But it's worse than that. Not only does it insert a permanent right to abortion into Michigan law, which we've already established biblically is wrong. There's not one pro-choice scripture in the Bible. It will remove the requirement girls under 18 receive parental consent or judicial bypass before having an abortion. So if your child, you know, made some mistakes, made some wrong choices and were become pregnant, they could just go get an abortion and you know nothing of, it, of any of it. That sounds like, oh, it's not a big deal until it's your child. And now they got to deal with the negative consequences of having an abortion, which are often a lot. It would enable late-term abortions up to birth. Well, they don't really mean that. That's, read it. Read it. I believe it was Detroit News says it would create abortion on demand at any time for any reason without informed or parental consent and paid for by taxpayers. Not only do you, will it call, allow these things to happen, it'll make you pay for it. Here's where it really gets wild. It will give boys a constitutional right to be castrated and girls the right under Michigan's constitution to be sterilized by way of a hysterectomy or the removal of their ovaries all without their parents' consent. That's called gender-affirming care. Oh, Pastor, I don't know. Read it. They call it reproductive freedom. That's evil. I have no problem as a man of God, as a pastor, 
Stand up in a pulpit and saying, that is evil. Because that is what the Bible teaches. Your vote is a seed. So, Pastor, what do I do then? You know, because we know uh, we're dealing with all kinds of choices in front of us. Nobody's perfect. Everybody has issues. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about a couple of them. And, and we, in this series, we've gone with some argue on both sides of the aisle. Right? We've said some things one party would agree with, some things other parties would agree with. You know, so, you know, what do I do? Well, first of all, remember, we're not Christian. We're not Democrat or Republican. We're Christian. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not making my decisions based on a party. I'm making my decisions based on what God wants. Right? So a couple thoughts here that'll help you with this. I feel like I could preach this for two hours. I'm really trying to be good. Get the platforms of each candidate. What does that mean? Go to their website. Look at what they say but they believe. What they support. Pull your Bible out and see, okay. What's biblical, what's not? Well, pastor, politicians lie. I know. You lie too. <laughs> I do too. We're trying to get better at it. So what else do I do? The Bible says you will know them by their fruit. So also look at their history. What have they supported in the past? What have they done in the past? Who are they associated with? Because when you're voting for a politician, you're voting for their connections, their party, their team. So they may say, well, I don't believe in this, but the people that they're supporting and, and upholding do. So you look at their platforms and their histories. Remember, look at those things. Do not allow yourself to just look at media coverage. The media today, for the most part, is just propaganda. CNN, MSNBC, they're pro-Democrat. Fox is pro-Republican. USA Today, left. Wall Street Journal, right. It's hard to find anything that's going to give you middle. They used to be in our nation, journalists actually would give you both. Even in our city. You can go one paper, is left. I don't even have to pick up the paper. I already know where they're going. The other paper, a little bit more right. So you can't look at media and say, well, they said. You know, today the Lions are going to play, if you call it play. Uh, <laughs> did I say that? The Green Bay Packers. Packers fans are going to be against the Lions in every way. Lions fans are going to be against the Packers in every way. That's fine for sports. It's not good for life. So you have to know who you're listening to. So you can, you can get some information, but when I watch the media, and I actually, when I read the paper, I actually purposely read both. So I will literally go pick up USA Today and see what it says, then I'll go to Fox to see what it says. Sometimes I'll go to CNN and see what it says, and I'll go to Fox and see what it says, because I'm looking for the truth. Right? I want the facts. I'm not worried about your little spin because everybody's spinning. I want facts. What actually happened? What was actually said? What is the actual context? You got to do that. Then you look at their platform, their history, and then most importantly, you got to pray. The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? Sons of God. God has put in us someone called the Holy Spirit who will guide you with some, some nudges. Sometimes you call it a peace in your heart or you get that check in your heart. And you know that check, most of us know it because after we did something stupid, we go, oh, something told me. Well, it wasn't something, it was someone. You'll know in here if you're prayed up. If you're not prayed up, you won't know. It might be last night's pizza. The Lord told me, no, that was that pepperoni, baby. You need to actually spend some time in prayer, right? You got to pray. You can't do something as important as this and just kind of go with it. You get, if you don't pray every day, get up Tuesday morning and pray. Turn, give God an hour prayer. You'll be surprised how clear things have become. And then let God guide you because he knows things we do not know. And I'm going to end with this. First Timothy chapter 2 because I'm so over time. 
Y'all get anything out of this? Yeah. Yeah, and ultimately, you want to vote for the righteous, right? People that are standing for God's principles. But, you know, sometimes on both sides, it's like, well, look, you know, he crazy and she crazy. And she, he crazy and she crazy. And what do I do? Well, you want to see who's taking righteous positions. You know, there's a guy in the Bible by the name of King Cyrus, a wicked king who helped God's people. So you, you look at what they're finding out and you talk to God about it, what they're standing on. First Timothy chapter 2, I end with this. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So our prayers for spiritual leaders, political leaders will have an impact on our quality of life. It will have an impact on whether or not the gospel is able to spread easily or not. And in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 13 and 14 says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my, that sounds like the day we in right now. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What's God telling us? Our prayers can turn a nation. And we need to pray for America. Stand your feet if you would. Let's go before God in prayer. Lift your hands toward heaven. Father, we thank you that we can come before you as a people knowing that you hear us and we'll have what we prayed for in the name of Jesus. We pray for our nation. We ask, Father, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this nation. For a great awakening where fathers' hearts are turned to their children, children are turned to their fathers, where righteous leaders are called and anointed and strengthened and raised up so they can sit in positions of authority. We rebuke you, Satan. You cannot have this nation. We will not stand for you overrunning this nation with the spirit of Antichrist. And we pray, Father, for this upcoming election that you do stir the hearts of believers. Lead them, lead us to vote according to your way. We pray, Father, that you move whatever damage Satan has planned for this week. We stand in the way right now. Right now, we're going to mute it. We're going to slow it down. We're going to limit it. We pray, Father, about this nation, that you have your way, that it once again be the city on a hill, a light to the world when it comes to the preaching of the gospel that have become even greater than it's ever been because of its, the sins of its past be actually left in the past. We give you praise and glory for it all, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray for everybody here, Father, that's opened their heart to your word, that you not only guide us today, but as we do what you've called us to do, you bless us. We thank you for the freedom we experience today from anxiety. We pray for blessing on every person that's listening to this. The blessing of the Lord make you rich. Let there be financial increase after increase after increase after increase. Supernatural debt cancellation. Breakthroughs in this time, this year of double for our trouble. Restore, repay, exceed. Make this last two months of 2022 be unforgettable. Thank you for it, Father, all in Jesus' name.
Amen. Give God praise and glory for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We have what we prayed for in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. Just real quickly. I know I'm over time, but this is the most important part of our experience. If you're somebody that doesn't know God, you've been on the wrong team. But man, God loves you so much. That's why he sent Jesus. That if you would just believe in him, you wouldn't perish. Said so you could have everlasting life. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You're burdened. He says, I'll give you rest. Today is your day to do that. To live the future God has for you. We want to help you to do that. By helping you to receive Jesus. Somebody else might say, I've chosen to follow him, but somewhere along the line, I just got away from God. I'm far from God again. And it could be for all kinds of reasons. It could be you got mad at God, got mad at church. It could be you just became apathetic. You just stopped being as important as it should be. But you know, God still loves you. He still has a plan for your life. And he's simply saying, come home today. Life is better with God. He'll forgive you and cleanse you of whatever happened. Put you on the right track. Still make your future bright. If you've gotten away from God, but you want to get right with him today, we want to help you as well. So I've given two simple invitations. The first, to choose to follow Jesus, to make heaven your home. The second, to get right with God or come home to him. If either one of those invitations apply to you today, if you want to say yes to God concerning either one of those areas, I want to encourage you right now to be bold and to lift your hand. Go lift your hand now. We're going to pray with you. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus, but you want to do that today, you want to make sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Lift your hand. Or if you've gotten away from God and you want to get right with him, go ahead and lift your hand. We want to pray with you. Even if you're online, lift your hand because it's not about me seeing it, it's about God seeing it. You're letting him know that you're ready. Well, if you raise your hand or you know that you should have raised your hand, I want you to pray a prayer with me. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody to pray it with you. So repeat after me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today to give you my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I confess with my mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. I repent of sin. I'm sorry, Lord. I turn away from it and I receive you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer, for answering my prayer, and for saving me now. Father, we thank you for those that have prayed this prayer for the first time and for those who have chosen to come home to you. We thank you that because of their decision, they're a part of your family, which means all of your benefits belong to them. And so we ask that your power work in their lives, helping them to win in whatever situations they're facing right now. I ask, Father, that you help them to know you, find freedom through relationship with believers, discover their God-given purpose, and make a mark in this world. And we give you the praise and glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give a round of applause to those who made that decision today. God is good. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.